Philippus FM. It's the moment we've all been waiting for. My friends, you've been super patient, and now we finally get to talk about humans. We finally get to talk about us. I'm Alex Williams. Welcome to another episode of the Creation Stories. To get us all up to speed, day one, God created the heaven and the earth. Day two was the skies. Day three, we saw the land separated from the seas, along with plants as the first life. Day four was the sun, moon, and the stars. Day five, we saw the birds and the fish created. And all throughout, we talked about the context of the story. With a little more context and contrast, we'll have the Assyriologist Dr. Josh start this episode. The other thing, just briefly, in the, in the Near Eastern uh, creation stories, mankind is created. And you see it actually in Genesis 2, created from like dust and blood or dust and, you know, spirit being blown in, you know, these sorts of things. And they're then put to work, right? Mankind is being, is, you know, if you read through Atrahasis, for example, mankind or even, you know, the, the older Sumerian uh, myths, the, in, in several of them, mankind is being created to do the work right? To do the work of tilling the ground or dredging the canals or, you know, providing food for the deities. That's the, that's the thing. But in Genesis one, that's not the case. Mankind is being created to rule, right? He's, he's being created to have dominion um, and to go out and to multiply, which again is sort of the antithesis toward, you know, when you think about the other flood stories, because they went out and multiplied, the flood came and, and But this is different in Genesis in the primeval history. Genesis was trying to get people to go out and multiply and subdue the earth. That's the whole point. And they fail to do it. They continue to fail to do it. They have sex with, you know, angelic beings or they come together in the Tower of Babel story and they come into one place, right? They're not spreading out. So um, these are things that I think we, we do want to focus in on the differences, because those are the things that I think the author or authors are trying to emphasize when they utilize these other texts. So in all of these other stories we've been talking about, humans are kind of these playthings and these laborers for the gods. In this story, we're the pinnacle. Humans are created to rule. But maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. We weren't the only thing created on the sixth day of this myth. So here's Natasha, our guest Christian priest. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Now here in the story, you don't hear that that blessing to be fruitful and multiply, but I added in on my own because I think that it's there. In my mind, that same, that same understanding is is present for these animals that appear and i love the repetition it's so deeply poetical right you hear that repetition of the language over and over again and also humanity and the animals are blessed in the same way when it comes to being fruitful and multiplying on the fifth day when god creates the sea creatures god says to them be fruitful and multiply fill up the waters. And then when God creates the animals on the sixth day, the the land-dwelling animals, humans included, 
God says, be fruitful and multiply, right? God doesn't give us a specific command different from any other part of creation except our ability to steward the creation. But when it comes to being fruitful and multiplying, when it comes to our food source, when it comes to anything else about humanity in that first creation story, we may be the pinnacle of creation because we're in God's image, but we are a part of the creation. And so therefore, we have to work within the creation to steward it properly. And again, I think sometimes that gets lost in the creation story. This stewardship is going to be the focus of this episode. At the same time, we're going to consider how we're also just a part of creation like everything else. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 starts with, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Natasha shared a beautiful insight she draws from this idea of being made in God's image. And that we're made in God's image. How so? I think all of creation is made in God's image because God created it. There's an impression of God in it somewhere. When I see a bird, it can reveal something to me about what God is. It can be a spiritual teacher. There's something about the divine reality, the isness of creation that is reflected in that bird. In every little blade of grass, I mean, I have this view of creation. It's, it's all enchanted with God. Like God's imprint is on every single thing that is and every single Thing that is reflects a bit of the divine glory and has something to teach me. So how is it that we are created in God's image? And a lot of people will take exception with that, and that's absolutely fine. But that's where I fall. And I think there's really nothing in the story to say that that's not a valid interpretation to have. It just may not be yours. <laughs> this ties back nicely to what Cantor Russ said at the beginning of this season about the Torah having 70 facets and how each of these interpretations adds to the beauty of this myth. What was cool to me was how similarly each of these religious leaders approached this story. Here's Imam Sayyid with his thoughts. Quran says, min shay. This is a very beautiful concept. Min shay illa la there is nothing on this planet which is not glorifying God. Every single part and particle of this world is glorifying God. Always remember, you are not the only one who is connected with God. Don't consider yourself the masterpiece. You are the masterpiece of God's creation, but don't fall into the trap of arrogance. If you are the masterpiece, prove it by taking care of everything else. That is the meaning of the masterpiece. Every part and particle of this world is glorifying God. And that gives, in fact, a very, very beautiful attachment that creates a very beautiful attachment between me and every part of this world. I'm not alone. I'm not a stranger. Everything is connected with me. Everything is attached with me through one creator. The creator who has created me, the same creator has created this water, the same creator has created this land, the same creator has created uh, these animals, the same creator has created these greeneries, Everything has emerged from one God. We all are one family. That gives us the concept of family. My family is not only my wife and my children. All the trees, all the animals, all the water reservoirs, everything that I'm in touch with, everything is a part of my family. And I must look after them like I look after my family. 
again, I think this is important as we face the ecological crises of our time, reclaiming that sense of, of the holiness of creation and the wholeness of creation. Okay, once again, this is where I have to jump in and remind you that there are over 4 billion people who identify with the spectrum of Abrahamic traditions. I'm going to encourage you to talk openly about this myth with people who might take a different perspective than you. Ask others what they think. Even within your congregation or group of friends, you might find new, diverse, and interesting insights into these stories. I asked three religious leaders how they take this myth, and to my surprise, they all landed on the same idea of stewardship and the importance of our relationship with nature. When I went into these interviews, I really had no expectations and just a ton of curiosity. And these were the interpretations that came up. Before we keep going, I want to share something cool from one of my university courses. This course is called The Geography of Protected Landscapes. We learned all sorts of stuff about national parks and the way they do these in different places, as well as other protected landscapes. It was a super cool class, and not just because of the field trip to Yellowstone. Dr. Josephson started the semester by asking how we saw our relationship with the land and with nature. Because the university I was attending was primarily Christian in population, God was also a part of the land-human calculation we were doing in this class. If memory serves, most of the class said something along the lines of, God is at the top, then it's us, then it's nature. The conversation for the rest of the period went deeper into this. What is our own mental model of how we see the world? If you're feeling ambitious and it's safe to do so, maybe sketch out your own model. Include nature, humans, and God, or change it up a little bit. Maybe you'll make cats and dogs their own category, or maybe you'll split out all the animals who can recognize themselves in the mirror, like dolphins and elephants. Or maybe there is no God in your model. Maybe humans are still above nature, even without having God in your model. Or maybe it's all the same. Consider taking this model and using it as a conversation starter. How do you see the world? With all of that said, for the purposes of this myth, and more specifically based on what our guests have said, we're going to use a model where God is at the top and nature is below them. Within nature, we humans get our own little bubble. We're a part of nature, but we also come with some serious responsibilities. Here's Natasha to get us started talking about those responsibilities. How do you interpret humans being made last and being said explicitly we're made in the divine image? I think there are many threads there. You know, one, again, we are moving from sim more simple to more complex. I think it is reflective of our, our, our ability to act upon the world and also our own self-reflective consciousness that we have. Again, I think it raises those interesting questions of, of what it means to be made in the divine image. So, so, so what is it? Is it how we use our agency, the nature in which we're meant to use that agency? Because God is our model, right? It's about abundance. It's about blessing. It's about goodness, right? That's, those are the themes that we've been hearing. So how is our image related to those things? I think that's key. What has often happened is, is that because we're created last and there is that language of created in the image of God, that we are the apex of creation. We are superior to everything else. And I, I'm not sure that's 
what it's actually saying. And I'm not sure that's a helpful translation, though I understand how that understanding has come. Like it, it, I can see where the, where the thought goes that way. I would challenge that. It does not mean we're superior to. And so it, we can look at it as this hierarchy of over and above. I would rather see it as a, a horizontal hierarchy where we're in relationship and, and there are different, different ways that we act in the world and different ways we are needed for the creation as a whole to function as it should. And not all human intervention in the natural world is destructive. My understanding is that the word dominion doesn't mean to dominate over in the original Hebrew. It is a sense of responsibility, but we have to live in balance. And when we don't, creation will tell us. When we overwork the land, it won't be fruitful anymore. When we pollute the water, we will get sick and the animals and the fish will die. Um, and there goes our food. But it's that the, the dominion is actually, of course, better understood as to steward, which is to care properly for and to be in proper relationship with. And that, I think, is a really important thing to, to claim. And again, this is where language matters. Now you can look at dominion and say, when people were put in charge of something, even kings, it was their dominion, but it wasn't, you know, really under, underneath that idea of kingship wasn't, you can just exploit it and take it all for your own gain. In fact, it came with this huge responsibility, you know, sort of in, in its ideal form of ensuring the livelihood, the wellness of all your people. It came with this incredible sense of responsibility and here Cantor Russ is going to offer some elaboration from the Jewish perspective. And humanity is seen in the first creation story as the crown of all creation. We are sort of the, the top of the food chain. We are the closest to God because it says that God creates us in God's image. And because of that, we are given responsibilities to oversee the natural order, not to dominate it. That is a mistranslation of the word that's used in Hebrew. It's not so much that we're to dominate the creation or to lord over the creation, but humanity is meant to be a steward of the creation because we are made the closest to God's image. So God was able to create and then because we are now here in the image and likeness of God, it means that we then have the ability to steward the creation that God brought into being. Uh, we have the idea in the creation story, at least this first creation story, that humanity and things, they're always created en masse. When humanity is created in the first creation story, it just says that God made them. God made them and God made them male and female. Uh, and it doesn't say that as it will in the second story, that God made a specific couple or anything like that. No, the first story, it's just that humanity is part of the web of nature. We're created en masse like everything else in creation. And so as a result, we are a part of creation, but we also have our unique role to steward creation. So we are a part of the grand design, and therefore we rise and fall within the grand design just as every other part of creation because we're intimately a part of it. But we are unique because of our being made in the image and likeness of God 
that we can then steward the creation as well. And I really am always very frustrated when people say that humanity was told to be dominant over creation because that's not the intent of the word in Hebrew. The word is bidga. Okay, so bidga. That's the Hebrew word. And it has this idea of having control over something, but not in the sense of dominating it, but in the sense of stewarding it. And again, that I think is, is one of the major themes that gets lost in the creation story, because if you think that humanity is meant to have dominance over creation, that's very different than if humanity is meant to steward the creation. And bidga, even though it means to rule over, it doesn't mean to rule over with an iron fist. It means to rule over in the sense that we guide and we direct and we protect and we help the creation to flourish. Okay? And so that, again, is a very unique role for humanity. The flourishing of nature calls to mind what Natasha has mentioned a few times about there being an abundance of life. I love that we, as stewards, can help things flourish. So we've heard from our cantor and from our priest what does our Imam say? Here's Imam Saeed. Yes, that's a very interesting question. What is the role or what is the part of human being? We are like custodians of this world, caretakers of this world. In simple word, Allah has used this word again and again in Quran. Allah has made you khulafa. Khulafa means representative of God. The role of human being is to represent God. We are not the creators of this world. The creator is only one, and that is Allah, God. However, he has assigned us the task to look after this world and maintain balance, peace, justice, love, and compassion in this world. So that is our role. Utilize the world for your interests, but don't destroy the world. Use it. Everything Allah talks about, heavens and earth and animals, plants, shrubs, he says, Allah has made everything humble before you. Allah has made everything to be used by you, to be utilized by you. Use them, utilize them, but do not destroy them. Whatever background you're coming at these stories from, I hope you've come to appreciate how these stories still hold value to us today. Of course, we still have one more episode to go. The seventh day, the day of rest, maybe my favorite day. Now, I ask each of the religious leaders as we wrap up these six days of creation to share some final thoughts on this portion of the creation. Now, I'm not going to interrupt as they wrap us up, so I'll hand it over to Natasha now. I do think, though, that it's interesting that we, while we may have that self-reflex, we have that self-reflexive consciousness, we're also the, the newcomers on the scene. Like we're the last part of creation. So maybe we might be the apex in terms of the timeline of the story, but I, I think we cannot necessarily conflate that with we are the end all and be all. Like we're, we're the best thing God ever made, right? Like fi God finally did it and finally got to us. I'm like, woo, like we're it. We might want to consider that because we're the newcomers to the scene, we have so much to learn from what has already lived for millennia. Maybe that's part of being made in the image of God is being able to look and listen 
and apprehend and and take the teachings that are already there. And we can kind of get out of the less than, more than sort of structure that we put ourselves into. Let's say we're here and we matter and we're important and we're wonderful. And we have all of this to learn from. And all of this creates us. Like humans don't exist without any of this other stuff. Like we just, we could not be here. You know, my body is composed of water and dirt and bacteria and the plants and the animals that I consume to make me grow. Like I emerge from this earth. And so it has to teach me. And it's the source of my life. The earth gives birth to us too, in partnership with God. And then how do we give birth? How do we give back? So, so many things in there. And, and this passage, of course, again, there's been so many problems with how we've interpreted the meanings of those words and, and what that likeness means. But I, I think there's also, when we put those aside, so much else to discover in them. God literally forms the first human out of the dirt and breathes life over it and into it. Always remember that you are the custodians. You are not the creator. You are not the owners based on Islamic ideology. Only Allah is the owner of this world. Even the tree which is in my backyard, I'm not the owner of that tree. From worldly perspective, the word owner is used for me to maintain balance and justice. This thing belongs to you, that thing belongs to you. But originally, nothing belongs to me. I'm not the owner of anything. The ultimate owner is God. I'm the custodian, I'm the caretaker, even my own body. I'm not the owner. Have I created myself? Of course not. Someone else has created me. However, Allah has given me authority. Allah has given me power. Allah has given me free will to utilize this body the way I love, the way I think it should be used. However, there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who forget that they are custodians, they are caretakers, they think they are the owners. So this tree is mine, so whatever I want to do, I'll do with that. But from Islamic perspective, no. You cannot do everything that you want. This animal belongs to you. You can ride on his back, but it doesn't mean that you abuse the animal. It doesn't mean that you hurt the animal. You overload the animal. It's haram, it's forbidden in Islam to abuse the animal in any way, or even to cut a tree without any reason without any legitimate reason. It's considered wrong. It's interesting because our creation myth, both of them, but even for this first one in Seven Days of Creation, it is in many ways antithetical to the other ancient Near Eastern creation stories. Because when you look at those creation stories, humanity is created by the gods in order to serve the gods but not serve as in be in relationship with, literally to serve, to work for, uh, you know, to make sure that they have enough to eat and enough to drink, to amuse them. And that's a very dark image of what humanity can be. But in Judaism, we said, no, our creation myth, although it does have some imagery that is very similar to those other ancient Near Eastern creation myths, our creation myth ultimately says no. We're not created as the plaything of the gods. We're created to be in relationship with the gods and to actually help the creation 
become stronger and better because of our presence there. We're created to be in relationship with divinity and by being in relationship with divinity to actually work with and help creation prosper. And so that's a very different way of viewing humanity's role in the universe. And Judaism has always said that humanity's role in the universe is to make the world better, not to be these abused servants of God's, but to actually be in relationship with God and to do something positive with our presence here. And I think that's reflected very strongly in the role that humanity is given in the creation story. And of course, acknowledging quite um, rightly that we are a, just a part of creation like everything else, that we're not something separate from creation. God is separate in some ways from creation in that first creation story because God hovers over all of it and puts it into order. But we are an integral part of creation with a unique role. God saw everything that God had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So it ends with God being extra emphatic. It's not just good, like it's really good. It's very good. This, this creation is a good and blessed and abundant reality at its core. At its core, that is what this earth is. It is a place of life. It is a place of abundance. It is a place of goodness. And it's really important if that's where you start from, right? Rather than the earth is a place of destruction and dangerous. You know, in here we have, of course, those cycles of life and death and life and death. It's not saying that the world doesn't have any challenges or pain or anything of that sort, but that it's fundamental truth is this place of blessing and goodness. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow is the last episode of this first season of the creation stories. We'll talk about time, rest, and our own creations. We'll also have final thoughts from all four of our guests. Thoughts I think you'll want to hear. There will also be a survey in tomorrow's show notes. I'll be looking for feedback on how I can improve. And I'll be asking you what stories from other cultures you'd like to hear in future seasons. But of course, as always, I'll invite you to stick around for the credits. This podcast has taken hundreds of hours to make, and I think it's good to hear a little bit of what goes into it. First, a massive thank you to those of you who support this podcast and the rest of my work on Patreon. If you'd like to become a supporter, it's the very first link in the show notes. You'll get a postcard from me as a thank you, and there's also a bunch of bonus content, including uncut interviews, some commentaries, and I'm going to have some bonus episodes on there as well, where we dive into topics and interpretations we couldn't get into in this main season. The Creation Stories is a production of Polytropus FM. I, Alex Williams, wrote, produced, hosted, and edited this episode. Our guests include Cantor Russell Jane, Imam Saeed Hassan, the Reverend Natasha Brubaker Garrison, and Dr. Joshua Bowen. If you'd like to get in touch with any of our guests, see their work, or support them, I've put links down in the show notes. Specifically, Dr. Josh has recently published The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, which I think will broaden your appreciation for these stories, regardless of your background. If you're in the Calgary area, I highly recommend you visit calgaryinterfaithcouncil.org to see how you can get involved in the interfaith community here. There will also be updates available there on the upcoming UN World Interfaith Harmony Week. 
Special thank you to Rob Falconer, Matt Baker, Dalton Harding, and the Calgary Interfaith Council for connecting me with guests and additional resources. Thank you to Garrett Vandenberg for creating our theme music. He's also done the original music for My Wax Museum and Polytropus, so I highly recommend you check out his work. And thank you to Bethany Gustafson for our show cover art. Additional sound effects in this episode were by Carlos Santa Rita. A full list of sources and credits can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode.